So for our study of knowing God, it ought to bring great humility into our lives. It ought to humble us to our core. The more we grow in our knowledge of God, the more humble we grow. And the more we grow in our understanding of God, the more our minds begin to expand. So it is interesting that when the world says you should have an open mind, um, that they mean by open mind that you should close off the things of God and accept other things that are anti-God or anti-Christ. But if we truly want to grow, if we truly want to have a mind that's full, we fill ourselves with the knowledge of God. So that's what we're looking at tonight, and that's what J.I. Packer was pointing to, alluding to in that statement. These first few things come from him. Uh, The study of the nature and character of God is practical and relevant for life. So understand that what we're talking about tonight, we're not trying to make you theological buffs here, okay? Um, But that you take these things and it would be practical for your everyday life, that you begin to see life through a different lens, through a a great and powerful God lens, how God has created the world. So the more you grow in your understanding of God, the more you understand truly your purpose here and what God wants to do through you. And so it's practical and relevant for life. And as it would be cruel to take someone from the Amazon uh, forest, a tribesman, fly him to New York. Dallas is here tonight. She flies all over the world. Where are you, Dallas? I saw you earlier at Dallas. She's in front. So Dallas, it would be cruel to take someone from the Amazon and then fly them to New York City and just drop them off and not teach them anything about the English language or New York, for that matter. And Stephen, you lived in New York, so you understand how vast New York is. All right, so that would just be cruel to do that to someone. In, in the same way, dropping them off in Times Square and expecting them to get around, okay, that would just be cruel. But in the same way, we're cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. We're lost, and that's the problem with man. He's lost. He doesn't recognize that this is God's world. God has created this world, and we can grow in our understanding of God and the world in which he's created The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place, and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. And that makes sense, right? For those who don't know God, this, it ought to be a sad place for all the things that they see going on around them. But even though there's destruction, even though there's wars, rumors of wars, whatever it may be, we have our hope in God. So we still have joy in the midst of these things. But for those who have no joy in God, it would be a rather unpleasant place. Have you maybe encountered somebody this week or in the past couple weeks who's just unpleasant? Okay, maybe it's been at work. Maybe it's been at home. Maybe it's been on the road. Maybe it's been in a restaurant. And you go, what is wrong with them? Well, it could be a good case that they don't know God. And if they don't know God, then their behavior is justified in the sense that they don't know any better, okay, to have a better hope, all right? So, As we continue to look at this tonight, in understanding that the world becomes a strange, mad, painful place that can be disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God, if we disregard the study of God, we sentence ourselves to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded. So you may say, you know what, I don't want to grow in more knowledge of God. I know enough. And that's sad. That's sad because a lot of people that we talk with and we ask them about the gospel, they get to Jesus, and that's about as far as they make it, and they don't know where to go beyond Jesus on the cross. And that may be you, and if that's you, I'm so glad that you're here and that you want to soak up this understanding 
of God. In fact, you know, say, hey, we're going to study about God. And I wouldn't doubt if there's some people even here at Perimeter Road who said, you know what, I know enough about God. I don't think I need to show up on Wednesday night to learn more about God. And that's sad that we think that we know enough or even dangerous that we think we know all there is to know about God. But if we reject this, we go through blindfolded with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds us. And so, in this way, we can waste our lives and lose our souls. And sadly for many, for many, as we talked about in the past couple of weeks, wide is the way of destruction. Many people are on that wide path, they don't know God, okay? They're not interested in knowing God, but they need to hear it, okay? And there's, that's the only hope for them to hear the gospel. We're going to look at that in a minute. So, with this knowledge... With you coming on Wednesday nights, here's the question I have for you. Maybe you'll write this down in bold letters. What do you plan to do with your knowledge of God? What do you plan to do with this knowledge? You've shown up tonight. I mean, we've had a great group last week. have a good group coming in tonight. What do you plan to do with your knowledge of God? I think you could take one of two paths. Either you could grow in humility or you could grow proud. And sadly, what we see in the Christian realm are people who have grown proud. They're prideful in what they know. They're prideful in what they can explain. In fact, they love having debates and arguments. They crave those things, not for the glory of God, but truly for the glory of themselves. So like in many other things, Christianity is nothing but a hobby for them. So may Christianity not be a hobby for you, but may it be your life following Jesus. But it can easily become like other things in your life, just a hobby that you get good at. So we're not here to get good at Christianity as a hobby. We're here to grow in our understanding of who God is, and that should humble us to our core. So it's all depending on your response, okay? So our aim in studying the Godhead must be to know God himself better. Our concern must be to enlarge our acquaintance, not simply with the doctrine of God's attributes, but with the living God whose attributes they are. So what we're going to do in the next few weeks, next week we have our fall festival. Everybody going to be here for that? Raise your hand. You can be at fall festival. You better not miss that. All right, it's going to be awesome. All right, so we're going to have fall festival next week. Then after that, we're going to be looking at the attributes of God. And we're going to stay. We're going to camp out there for a little while. I don't want to overwhelm you with just two quick sessions of that. I mean, that would be way too much at one time. So we're going to take our time in the attributes of God. Okay, but before we get there, as we are, are closing in on that, it's, it's so that we will know him better. Not so that we can go spouting about what all we know about God, but that we know God. There's a difference. Not knowing about God, but knowing God. Psalm 119. You see that the psalmist's concern to get knowledge here is not a theoretical, but a practical concern. Not a theoretical, but a practical concern. His supreme desire was to know and enjoy God himself, and he valued knowledge about God simply as a means of to this end. So he wanted to know God, not just to create all types of vocabulary words of describing God. And this is going to help you. As we go through this, one thing when we begin to praise God, in fact, we've done this several times, we just say, hey, begin your prayer time in in a time of praising God. How about we do that tonight, okay? Y'all remind me. When it comes to prayer time, we'll start it off by praising God. And we get stumped. We, we know God's great. We know there's many ways in which we can describe God. We just can't think of them. Is that because God's not great or is it because our knowledge is lacking? It's because our knowledge is lacking. 
So if you want to deepen your prayer life and your praise to God, and as you're going throughout your day and just pausing and praising him for his greatness, learn about his attributes. That's what we're going to be doing. So if you're discouraged tonight when we go to pray and we go to praise God tonight and you can't think of anything except that God is big, God is great, God is good, and if there's food, let us thank him for it, right? right. I mean, that's okay. You start with where you are and and grow in that. I'll never forget, I tell this story often for a reason, Uh, I think I was fourth or fifth grade, maybe I was third grade, I don't know, but we're in... um, Royal Ambassadors. You ever heard of that? RAs, okay, for short. And we're in a circle and we're praying. And I remember a guy named David. He was three or four years older than me. And he prayed. He prayed a really good prayer and then kind of went around the circle. And the deal was that when you didn't want to pray any longer, you just squeezed the hand to the person next to you. And so I had that part down. I was pretty good at that. And it came to me and I thought, tonight I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to thank God. He's He's great. And so I just say, God, thank you for the sun. I was doing good, right? Thank you for the sun. Thank you for the moon. Thank you for the grass. And then I froze. I I couldn't think of any other thing to thank God for. I mean, I stopped at grass. That was it. And then I went to the quick hand squeeze, right, to the next person. And I've always remembered, like I'm telling you that story now because I've never forgotten that. I was embarrassed by that moment. I don't want you to be embarrassed by those moments. I want you to be able to look back on those and then say, praise God that I have grown in my knowledge and understanding of you that now I can get past the grass, right? I can praise you for more things. And so that's what we're seeking to do. So two things. One, can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of him. You can know a great deal. I mean, you can wow people with how much you know about God, okay, but not know him. All right, that's that's one mistake. Number two, one can know a great deal about godliness without much knowledge of God. And that's dangerous too. And what we mean by number two, you can know much about a great deal about godliness without much knowledge of God. That's that's us coming to church and learning rules. Okay, how to be good. Like that's our focus. Our focus is on how not to mess up. Our focus is on how we can look good in front of others, so that others think that we love God or that we're good Christians. That's, that's more the focus than knowing God. But in both of these things, the more you grow in your knowledge and understanding of God, in your relationship with God, these other things begin to change naturally in your life. Okay? So because humans are finite and God is infinite, okay, if they are to know God, it must come about by God's manifestation of himself. You may find yourself struggling with that statement, but that's true. We look in Scripture, because humans are finite and God is infinite. If they are to know God, it must come about by God's manifestation of himself, or we're not going to know God. That comes from Millard J. Erickson. He is a a Baptist uh, theologian, and he has written also a systematic theology book that you may want to pick up. I think it's a great handiwork to use side-by-side with Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. So what this means is that man is not on a quest to know God without God leading the way. All right? So we're saying, hey, I'm wanting to know more about God. Well, if you're going to know more about God, God has to lead the way. And you say, well, what if God doesn't want to lead the way? But here's the thing. If you're craving to want to know 
God and you're truly craving that, then you can trust that God's leading the way. Because it's not natural for you to crave God. In fact, it's very natural for you to have a distaste towards God and his holiness. That's our natural state, okay? So because of this, number one, and we'll look at three things tonight. This is number one, okay? Number one, there is a necessity for God to reveal himself to us. This is a necessity for God to reveal himself to us. If we are to know God at all, it is necessary that he reveal himself to us. It's from Wayne Grudem. So we are trusting that God will reveal himself to us. We pray that God will reveal himself to other people. When we go and we share the gospel, our prayer is, God, reveal yourself today. Make yourself known. I am limited in doing that in and of myself. I, I cannot do that. That is the work of God to proceed, to go before the sharing of the gospel. That's what we pray. That as that gospel goes forth, there is a work in the heart already so that when they hear that, it takes root, there is growth. God must go forth for his name to be made known. And we see this in Scripture. I mean, I'll give you plenty here. Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So there it is. He is at work. He is sovereign. He is revealing himself. And here's what we can trust, is that he's a good God. This is not in any way unfair. He is good in this. As Jesus is the one who says this. Anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. What was Jesus doing on earth? Revealing himself. And Some people got it, and some people didn't. And we look at Jesus' very words at this point. Then we look also in what Paul says in 1 Corinthians one twenty one. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. That was the problem. The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So get that. The gospel in the first century was also seen as folly, as the gospel in the 21st century is seen as folly. Look at all the attack against Christianity today. And we go, wow, what an attack on Christianity. It's the same in the first century. I mean, they saw this foolishness. In fact, Paul said we should be pitied above all men if the gospel's not true. Like, you should feel bad for us. You should feel sorry for us. We've wasted our time. And so the gospel is seen as foolishness to a world that thinks they're wise. But in the worldly wisdom, you cannot conjure up the idea that there is God and that we follow God and that he is the way. No, only the gospel reveals that. Only God reveals that. This is the knowledge of God that we need. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. Why has no one ever seen God? Because no one can behold his glory. You see, God, you die. I mean, you, you can't be in the presence of God because of our sinfulness, his holiness. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So when Jesus came, that's what Jesus was doing. He was making the Father known. He was making God known when he came on this earth. So the necessity for God to reveal himself to us also is seen in the fact that sinful people misinterpret the revelation about God found in nature. We saw this last week. Romans 1, 18, 21, and 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Therefore, we need Scripture if we are to interpret natural revelation rightly. Some of you had some good questions following last week, and I hope that we have some more good questions tonight in following this. We want that. 
We want to follow up. We want to work through this together. But something that's very common that we struggle with, we say, what about the people who don't hear the gospel? What happens to them? What happens if they live in a land where they never hear the gospel? Um, I'm of the firm belief already that the gospel has gone throughout the whole world. I know that many are not. Many Christians, many strong, devout Christians, still believe that there are parts of the world that need to hear the gospel before Jesus comes back. I firmly believe that Jesus could come back right now. I don't think we're waiting on any other nation to hear the gospel. And why I believe this is because I believe in the first century, Paul went throughout all the known world and he shared the gospel. In fact, at Pentecost, known world is there. The gospel is shared. They go. Eventually, they go. It took them a while to get out of Jerusalem. Eventually, they go. And they go share. Okay? And so the gospel has gone throughout the whole world. So I'm a firm believer that Jesus can come back at any time. Maybe you're banking on it, that we're waiting for the whole 1040 window to happen. Hey, I'm all about reaching that area where the gospel is void. We need to keep going into those areas, keep praying, keep sending. But I don't think we're waiting for that whole area to be reached before Jesus comes back. Just my opinion. You take it for what it is. All right? Now, we are foolish to think that anybody can go before a holy God and be received as holy to be received as righteous, to be received as good, to be allowed in his kingdom without Jesus. If that were possible, then what I'm doing right now is foolishness. Why would I be telling you about Jesus or anybody about Jesus if there is the opportunity for them not to hear the gospel and to use that as their defense when they go before a holy God They can say, I never heard about the gospel. I never knew the way, the truth, and the life, so you have to let me into your kingdom. That's not a proper response. That will not allow somebody into the kingdom of heaven. And so if we look and we say, well, it's not fair that that person in that part of the world doesn't hear the gospel, then we have to ask ourselves, why is it fair that they do get to hear the gospel? We need to ask ourselves that hard question. Is it fair that we hear the gospel? Does God owe us the gospel? In fact, God does not owe us the gospel. God is not owed to us to tell us who he is. It is his grace that he does that. That may shake your core, okay? It may cause it to crumble. That may actually anger you a little bit. But I think we've been so steeped in a society, in a culture, that says that God owes everyone the opportunity to hear about himself. But if that's the truth, we have people all over the world who aren't hearing about him, who aren't hearing the gospel. So what has Jesus told us to do? What has he told us to do? I believe he has told us to go to every nation, right? So if, the, if it was possible that somebody could live in a nation that never heard the gospel, never knew about God, and then went before God in judgment and could use that as their excuse to say, hey, I never knew you. I mean, you're big, you're great, you're awesome and everything, but I never knew who you were, um, so I think you need to let me into the kingdom. No, then, then what Jesus said is wrong. Why would Jesus tell us to go share the gospel if there's an alternative for them to be okay without the gospel. Now, he's saying go share the gospel because there's no other hope without the gospel. They have to hear the word. Do you think about that? That's why we share the gospel. We've lost our minds if we think that people are naturally going to get it. No, we have to go tell them. We see that in Romans. I mean, Romans tells us, Romans 10, how will they know unless somebody preaches? How will they know unless somebody goes? The answer is they won't. They will not know. 
So what does that do to us? Let me just go on with this for a second. What does that do to us when we know that we live in a land where you come on Wednesday night um, and on Sunday, and then you can set up your podcast. You can listen to a message literally every hour of the day if you wanted to. You have that capability. And what does that say about us when we go, oh, I've got to go to church tonight. Oh, I've got to study my Bible. I mean, I don't want to, but I know I need to, and it's probably right that I do it. Okay, I guess I will. When there's people who don't have the Word of God, what that should do, that should make us grateful. And that should remind us of God's grace. And then we go, what, what is it about me? Have you, ever, have you ever asked that question for God? What is it about me that you allowed me to be born in this land? Have you ever asked God that? Can I see a raise of hands? Anybody? Is it just me? Yeah. We say, what is it about me? It's, it's nothing about you. It's nothing about you at all. We count it as God's grace that we live here. I mean, somebody must live here in this land. You're one of them that lives here. It's not by chance. It's by God's design. And you have heard him. And you're here tonight. You're hungry. Like, you say, hey, I want to know more about God. Because God's intervened in your life. And we want God to intervene in others' lives. So we take this, this good message, and we're going to go tell other people. That's how it works. And so through Scripture, God reveals himself. So Hundreds of false religions in the world are evidence of the way sinful people, without guidance from Scripture, will always misunderstand and distort the revelation about God found in nature. I'm just going to confess. We may not get through all the notes tonight because I just want to keep pausing and interjecting something. Based on that, if you've read the news in the last 24 hours, one of the leaders in the Mormon church is coming out, and they're going against the way the clerk in Kentucky has handled business, her convictions about not giving marriage license to same-sex couples. And, you know, quite a stand that she's taken. As long as I work here, I don't have to give these to you. Okay, she's even been put in jail for it. Okay, she's like modern-day Paul, okay? And she's released. And I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but I think she's bold in the faith. Okay, I'm grateful for somebody taking a stand like this. And I wondered how long it would take from those of the Mormon church to begin to change their beliefs in order that people would still like them. All of a sudden, you have a leader coming against that. And I, I'm, I firmly believe this. I believe the Mormon church will begin to change their beliefs continually in order to match culture. Okay? That's not biblical living. All right? it, it's not biblical living to what's happened just recently where a young man walks into a middle school, and he is a young man by all means, and he dresses up as a girl, wears a dress, and then he's sent home because he breaks dress code. I think that's appropriate, don't you? I mean, your boy, young man, you dress as a girl, you wear a dress, that's not appropriate attire, you go home. And there's a big uproar. How can you tell this young man who wants to be a girl that he can't wear a dress? Because the next thing you're going to do, you're going to allow him to go to the girl's bathroom. Do you see how twisted things get? And if you're not careful, and if I'm not careful, all of a sudden we begin to sympathize with culture. And we go, oh, but come on, that's what he wants to do. That's man's behavior anyway. Man wants to do what he wants to do. God can create you one way. Man says, that's not who I am. I'll, I'll show you who I am, God. And all of a sudden, the response was that you had, instead of bullying this boy in a dress, you, which I wouldn't think would be good anyway, but you have a group of guys who show up to the school, and they wear dresses as well. And they wear T-shirts that say, we support this. So what are we teaching based on culture? What are we teaching? That, hey, whatever you want to be, be. I mean, we're applauding that a young man doesn't want to grow up to be a man. And we're applauding that a young lady doesn't want to grow up to be a woman, in which God has fashioned them to be. God has fashioned them to be that. They had nothing to do with who they are, how they've been created. God created that. So all of a sudden, man says, we want to change that. 
If you're not grounded in Scripture, you'll go right along with it. You'll be the one applauding. You'll be, hey, that's great. You know what? Thank you, guys, that you didn't abuse that kid, that you didn't make fun of him, but you dressed up just like, way to go, way to go. No, no, not way to go. I think you went the polar opposite. We have to be very careful that we don't change our standards. We have to communicate the gospel because the world's not going to get it in worldly wisdom. But the Bible tells us alone how to understand the testimony about God from nature. Therefore, we depend on God's active communication to us in Scripture for our true knowledge of God. So we ought to be in the Word so we can understand who God really is. Number two, we can never fully understand God. You get that? You'll never fully understand God. That may frustrate you. You go, ah, I want to fully understand him. Like, I believe there's people here on earth that have fully understood him. No, that's, that's not true. I'm not making that statement as true. We, sometimes we think that people have gotten all there is to know about God. No. Because God is infinite and we are finite or limited, we can never fully understand God. So in this sense, God is said to be incomprehensible, unable to be fully understood. Not that we are unable to understand God understand things about God, but that we could fully understand him. He's incomprehensible. And so he cannot be understood fully or exhaustively. Let's look at a few verses. Psalm 145.3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Psalm 147.5. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Can't measure it out. There are no limits to who God is. We will never be able to measure or fully know the understanding of God. It is far too great for us to equal or to understand. Psalm 139.6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So this should not lead us to cease to pursue it, but that we should understand that we'll just never conquer it. We should pursue it the knowledge and understanding of God. But we will not fully, to its fullest capability, understand who God is. It is the Spirit of God that can only comprehend the things of God. So the Spirit of God is part of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So what does the Spirit do? He searches the depths of God. For who knows a person except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So we, who is we, the followers of Christ, have received the spirit of God, that we might understand things freely given us by God. So what happens if you don't have the spirit living in you? You don't understand the things freely given us by God. You can't understand them without the Spirit of God. That's what Scripture tells us. So the Holy Spirit comes to live within us so that we can have an understanding and a fuller understanding of God. So if we're trying to get the message across and somebody's just not getting it, we're praying for God to work and the Holy Spirit to work so that they can have a fuller understanding of God. It's not that one man's smarter than another, so he's going to get God better than another man. There are plenty of smart people out there. There are plenty of people who know the Bible verses 
and can twist and manipulate them and really frustrate you and make you look like you don't know Scripture. But they're void of the Holy Spirit. So they don't truly know God. For us to know God, we need the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And this leads Paul to break forth into praise. In Romans eleven thirty-three. he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. So it's not that we will never fully understand God but it is also true that we can never fully understand any single thing about God. Like, we don't become experts in one attribute of God. So as we go through these, you go, yeah, I, I know everything there is to know about that attribute of God, of his greatness, his understanding, his knowledge, his riches, wisdom, judgments, his ways, are all about, beyond our ability to fully understand. And so instead of getting discouraged by that, let that encourage us. That we'll never grow tired of getting to know God. You ever get tired of getting to know somebody? I mean, if we're honest, we've had those moments. Um, here's, here's a part of something completely working my illustration, but I'm going to use it. Like, here's how I knew Curry was the one, all right? I never got tired of, of knowing her or getting to know her. Like, every day was exciting. Every, every time to get to know her and learn new things, like, that's exciting. It's still exciting. But... There are people that we run into, and it's, it's funny working with students. They get on the telephone late at night, and they, they call that person that they like, and they talk for hours, like hours upon hours. And then the next night, they talk hours and hours, and then the next night, hours and hours, and then by the end of the week, they break up. And you go, hey, dude, what happened? I thought you were serious about this. Go, yeah, I just got tired of her. Well, how'd you get tired of her? We talked. We didn't know. I didn't know what else to talk to her about. Everything. I, I knew everything I needed to know. I got tired of it, Right? or vice versa, whatever it may be. We get tired of things. We, we grow in our knowledge of something, we drop it, and we go do something else. You're never going to get tired of knowing God. You're never going to get bored with God. If you get bored with God, that's a you problem, not a God problem. You never get bored with, with God. It's always exciting learning about God. Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Job 26, 14, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? There are things that we begin to understand, but there are things that just leave us in a loss for words. And I believe it's wisdom that we are able to admit sometimes that's just a mystery. I don't, I don't know how to go beyond this point of explaining God's greatness to you. I must stop right here. That's all I know. So I'm not going to make something up and be a fool. I'm going to stop right here. Thus, we can know something about God's love, power, wisdom, and so forth, but we can never know his love completely or exhaustively. We never become experts in one area about God. We're always growing in our understanding of who God is. That's great. In his love, like always growing in our understanding of God's love for us. You know, my mom, talking to her on the phone, she always ends with, I love you. So that means that even if she thinks the conversation's about the end, she says, I love you. And the conversation not ending, so it's, I love you again, and then I love you again, I love you again. And then I get off the phone, and Curry's like, that was like 10 times you told your mom you loved her. I'm like, kind of, I love my mom, right? But she wants me to know that I love her. But there's a point where you go, oh, no, 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 I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Or you love me, right? But with God and his love, we never get to a point where oh, no, 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 okay, God, you love me. No, it ought to continue to humble us, to just learn 
all along the way how much God loves us. That every time you intentionally sin, that has not caused God to stop loving you. You have no other relationship like that. You really don't. Like, I love my wife, but if I intentionally hurt her day after day, and if I'm unfaithful to her, that's not going to end well. Through time, I, nobody can enter into a relationship like that where you continue to abuse them, you continue to be unfaithful to them, you do the things that we do towards God, no human relationship can stand that. But God's love is patient and kind. And yet, as we begin to reflect on that more and more, it leaves us baffled by how great he is. And so we grow in our understanding more and more. We will never be able to know too much about God. And in eternity, the same way. You think in eternity that you'll know everything about God, but think eternity goes on and on and on and on. But even in eternity, we'll never know everything. Eternity is us increasing in our knowledge of God and delighting ourselves more and more in him. Along with everything that he is going to have for us, it's us increasing in our knowledge of God. Think about those moments here on this earth when you go, wow, I learned this new thing about God. I have to go tell somebody. But that's what eternity is filled with. You're just learning new things about God. All things that are true from his word, but just more of him and more of his truth. That's what eternity is filled with. And David says this in Psalm 139, 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. And I don't know the last time you played in sand, but sand gets everywhere because sand is tiny, right? And then there's a lot of it. And you think the vastness of God. How you never, you never get bored of it. You never run out of it. So we will never master our understanding of God. And here's, here's the last thing, number three. We can know God truly. We'll never know him fully, but we can know him truly. We can know true things about God. We can have true knowledge of God from Scripture, even though we do not have exhaustive knowledge. So Psalm 139, 17, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Even more significantly, it is God himself whom we know, not simply facts about him or actions he does. That's a difference. You may have a hero that you look up to, and you can tell us all types of facts about him. Andre Dawson, the hawk. I mean, he used to stand like that. I used to love this. This is how he'd stand in the batter's box, just like this. Every day, and when I was in Little League, I used to stand just like this, and I'd get that leg rocking right there, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, I look like Andre Dawson. I could tell you anything. I have baseball card after baseball card after baseball card of him. I even got robbed one time. I even gave away Ken Griffey Jr.'s rookie card for two Andre Dawson cards. I didn't care. I just wanted Andre Dawson. I could tell you anything about him, anything about him. But I don't know him. I don't know. He doesn't know me. In fact, my first ever baseball game I went to was, what was the old Braves stadium? Not Turner, but what was it called? Braves fans? No true Braves fans. What was it? Fulton County Stadium. Yeah, Fulton County Stadium. Walked in. And there, as I walked in, I found him, Andre Dawson. He, yeah, I mean, he was a lot. He, he was playing in the outfield. They were shagging fly balls, getting ready for the game. And I cheered for him all game. Cheered for the Cubs. I did, right? Because of him. Like, because of him, but he didn't know me. He doesn't know me. Like, you may know all types of facts about people. And that's why I think it's crazy. I mean, we talk about these movie stars as if they're all great, and 
they're real people. Like, they're real people. You know, like when Miley Cyrus does something foolish, which is about every other day, and, and she does things, and we talk about her, and we put pictures up of her, that is a lost soul that gets a lot of attention. But that girl is starving. She doesn't know Jesus. She's real. Like, you can name all types of facts about her. She's real. She needs Jesus. And, and the church is not absent from this. I mean, we, too, poke fun. And yet there are people all around. They may know something about God, but they don't know God. And it's not that we just want to know facts about God. I mean, that's not impressive with God. But that we actually know Him. Not that we can just spout off stats or verses, but that we actually grow in our knowing Him, our knowledge of Him, our relationship with Him. And we have that opportunity. We do. Knowing God Himself. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. You ready? So he said, the mighty man, don't boast in your mind. The, wi- the wise man, don't, don't boast in your wisdom. Rich man, we don't care. Don't boast in your riches. But that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Wow. How might that change the way we even view ourselves? That it's not not about how wise we are or how strong we are, how rich we are, and that God could care less if we boast in those things, but let us boast in how great he is in our understanding of him. Maybe that would change some of our priorities in our life. Maybe the things that we can't wait to do when we leave here tonight. Maybe that would change something that we do. And in fact, I have to evaluate that when I'm getting caught up in things that are just passing time. You go, is that worth it? I mean, I should be growing in my understanding of God. Like, that's the greatest treasure we have on this earth, growing in your understanding of God. Your mind's growing because of the greatness of God. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life. Let's stop right there. We may say, this is eternal life. Fill in the blank. And people say, golden streets. Um, singing how great they are. Eternity. Becoming angels. No, you don't become angels. Okay, we'll get there eventually. When you die, you don't become an angel. All right? We may say, this is eternal life. Eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. That's the joy of eternal life, that you know God and you understand why Jesus came. And don't take it for granted that you just think people understand why Jesus came. Most people have missed Christ. Even those of the same race who had heard the promises for centuries, they, they missed him. He was, even people who saw him in the flesh, they missed him. He was right there. But eternal life for those who recognize him. He revealed himself too, and they follow him. We saw this in Hebrews 8, 11, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. And that's us, that we know the Lord from the least to the greatest. May we shatter this whole 
I'm greater than you. No, what makes us great is God. And that should humble us, that we have been given worth and value. So when we speak to God in prayer, he speaks to us through his word. And we commune with him in his presence, we sing his praise, and we are aware that he personally dwells among us and within us to bless us.